Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that all of these content creators have been playing recently. And on this episode are The Maple Dungeon, Mozart Games, Friday Night Games, The Tabletop Bellhop, Board on the Air, Definitely a board game podcast and cardboard conjecture. And always remember to check out the show notes for links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And as I always say, enjoy. Hello, everybody. This is Rob and Anna Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And this week, we are going to talk about one game. And that game is... Starship Shuffle, designed by Kyle and Curtis Ahrens and published by A Games. Yeah, Starship Shuffle. Now, this is a, this is a game that's currently on Kickstarter. Um, this game, uh, we, we were lucky enough to get a preview copy of. And yes. we've been playing through it a bunch over the last few days and thought we'd, we'd chat about it on here because, uh, a spoiler, we really like this game. Yep. And so, it, uh, it has about seven, six, oh, by the time they listen to this, five mm, days left. Maybe five days by five the time Five days this left airs. on Kickstarter. Yeah. So let's, let's tell you about this game. So this game, uh, the theme of the game is all about uh, aerospace engineering. Building, building a starship. Yeah. You're yeah. building, you're building a a rocket starship. Yes. And you're trying so to launch. In it. one phase of the game, you're doing that. You're building your starship, and in the other phase of the game, you're launching it, or hopefully launching it, and hopefully making it yes, to that stage. There's a lot of things that can go wrong, but yeah, the way this game works is you are going to have a a hand of cards, mm-hmm. and you're going to have uh, depending on player count, you have different amount of cards. Four or five, but four or five cards. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to see them. So your your hand of cards is going to be facing out. Yeah, and so, they're all made up of rocket cards. So yeah. pieces of the rockets. They're all the, different parts. The, the starship and, that you're trying to build. And we should say that there's engines. Barrels. Uh, barrels, which are basically the uh, cylinders that make yeah. up the body of and the starship. Fins. And then fins that uh, Multiple guide different kinds. The, the starship. And they have to be connected in certain areas. So... Yeah, you're going to ha- have a hand of these cards, and then you, but you're not going to know what they are. So on your turn, you're going to have several things that you can do. The first thing that you can do is you can give a hint. So I could be looking across the table at Anna Marie's hand and say, oh, she's got three engines out of four cards. So I could say as uh, my first action on my turn, I'm going to do, I'm going to say, Anna Marie, you have three engines. So she knows, wow, okay, 75% of my cards are engines, so she's got a really good idea that she's got an engine, that if she pulls a card from her hand, she'll be able to play an engine. Then you can also, uh, another action you can do is discard a rocket card. So you can discard one of your cards out of your hand, and that will get you back a hint. A hint. Because you only have six hints right, you only have the six whole of game. Them. And as you use them, you're flipping those cards, those kind of hint cards and you can't over, use them. and you can't use them again. So you'll be able to get another one back in case you're running low on those. And then you, another action you can do is either build or join or move rocket parts. So how does that work, Anna Marie? So you, um, you basically blindly take from your hand, yep. uh, you, you decide to build, you take it, you say, I'm going to build in, um, you know, this, the pavement area or the mid bay, whatever bays you kind of have open, and then you put it down. That's how you build. And hopefully you've put it in the right spot. Yep. And, uh, but if you didn't, you do have some ways of mitigating that yes. because you don't actually know. But you, like you said, you had a pretty good chance of putting down a, a uh, an engine. An like engine. So said. let's say you did. You threw that down on top of, uh, say, the pavement area. Yes. 
and then on my my turn, you you could have told me that I had, um, you know, a, a whole bunch a barrel. of barrels, and I threw down a barrel, and then you're trying to construct these these rockets in the proper order because you have a set of blueprints that you kind of have to follow, right? And you have to build them to a certain height, to a certain way, with certain pieces going in certain places, and you do that by sharing information back and forth about what's in each other's hands and playing those cards down hopefully in the right order but if you don't then you can move cards from one bay to another to hopefully build the rocket correctly if you do build it in the wrong place though then you lose your card (laughs) so you want to having like enough bays open um will, will really help and if you do play that wrong card in the wrong spot you get a pointy end down so there's three mm-hmm. three <laughs> of these little rocket ships yeah. cards that if you wreck three accident of them accident cards you lose the game but once you've created your or hopefully built your rocket properly you'll move on from that part of the game to phase two where you're launching launch phase so you move over to mission control and over in mission control there's going to be five steps to launching this rocket up into the air letting it kind of soar through the orbit Come back down and land it. That's what you're trying to that do. That is the goal. The That's dream. Your goal. But depending <laughs> on how things go, you might not be able to do that. Because through the game, as you play down cards, um, your rocket pieces, you're going to be collecting these other cards called um, development cards. And you're going to hopefully be placing... Well, these cards can be many, many things. But they're also some of them are going to be cards that you can place down in the mission control area to help yeah. mitigate and put up fail-safes for when you're going when to you're launch launching. through these five different sections of the launch. So you're trying to add as many of these fail-safes over to the to the mission control you're as you can. Trying to get them in the correct spots, a little bit of a yeah, guessing game. Yeah, they have game. to go in an order and in, in, certain, in certain spots so that when you actually start firing up this rocket to launch it, you can hopefully mitigate any little problems that may arise. Right. So how does that work, Enemy? So when you're in the launch phase, you have launch cards. You're going to have three red cards, which are rapid, unscheduled disassembly. <laughs> yes, which is just hilarious, <laughs> which is a real term, apparently. Yes. So, so you have three of those. Not an explosion. Rapid, unscheduled disassembly. disassembly. <laughs> and then you have seven nominal cards. So normal equals good to go. Red equals not good to go. And so if you have in these development cards, if you have one development card, you get to add a normal card to your pile, shuffle it up, and then pull. Yep. If you have a second one, it basically means if you pull a rud, a dud, <laughs> from yep. the first one, um, you get to pull again. And so depending on how many cards you have there, it can really help you um, in the second phase to hopefully get to a successful launch. Yeah, so you got to make your way through the five different steps of this, hopefully pulling a nominal card on each one of those. But for every rud that you would pull, you're hoping that you have a fail-safe in place to mitigate yes. that from your ship exploding. Yeah, um, this game is fun. It's yeah. it's fun if you win. It's fun if you lose. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great. And we didn't have nearly enough time to go over no. uh, what this game is front to back. But you can head over to our podcast yes. and you can listen to a full Kickstarter preview of this game that we just posted. So uh, when you're done listening here, you can head over to our uh, our fifth episode yep. and hear all about this game in great detail. And you can run over to Kickstarter and back it because I'm telling you, it's a great, fun, new uh, take on a card game. There's mechanisms that I haven't seen before here. So Canadian designers. Canadian designers. Great card game. Support Kickstarter. Um, Starship Shuffle. Starship Shuffle. Run over there and back it. But we got to run. So we'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hey everybody, my name is Chris Morris from Mozart Games and I am back with Cardboard Conjecture to talk about What You Been Playing Wednesday. You can find me on Twitter as SpiderMo, that's spider with a Y if you like what you hear and want to give me a follow for some board game thoughts, my ongoing challenges as a designer, and a little bit of me complaining about random things. This week I want to talk about a game that I recently got to the table called Thebes by designer Peter Prinz and published by Queen Games way back in 2007. Now, Thebes is a game where players are archaeologists, traveling throughout Europe, trying to research different Mediterranean cultures so that they can eventually travel to those places and dig up precious artifacts to place in museums and put on exhibitions with them. 
The game takes place over two or three years' worth of time, depending on the number of players. The game plays pretty quick, but packs a lot into its approximately 20-minute playtime, with players fighting with each other over cards depicting information about dig sites, as well as trying to get to those dig sites in order to find artifacts. Now, Thebes was one of the earliest games to use a time track on the board to track players' actions, because everything you do in the game uses time, from traveling around the board to collecting cards, and most importantly, digging at the sites, which I'll get to in a moment because it really is one of the coolest mechanics in the game. Cards are placed in a market on the board, with each card showing a type of research for dig sites, special movement abilities, or assistance. Now, each of these cards can be collected in one of the cities in Europe depicted on the board, so players have to travel to the location to get to the card. There's also an amount of time that players have to spend to gather that research shown on the card, with anything from about one to six weeks. Now, when a player collects a card, they move their archaeologist along the time track on the outside of the board a number of weeks that they spent to get to the card, including their movement, and then the market is refreshed. Whoever is furthest back on the track gets the next action, so there are times that a player may need to wait for their opponents to take several actions after they've taken a time-consuming one, but that's part of the strategy. Knowing when to spend a bunch of time, that might hurt you now, but it's going to help you in the long run. Now, once players have uh, feel that they've collected enough information about a specific site, they can travel to that part of the board and start digging. Players count up how much knowledge they've accumulated about the site, as well as any assistance or general knowledge that they have, and then they decide how much time they want to actually spend digging at the site in question. There are these really cool dials the players use to track all of this, and then it shows them how many tokens they'll get to draw from a bag that matches the site they've traveled to, and that's honestly where the magic happens. Each bag is preceded with a number of artifact tokens from that region, along with a bunch of dirt tokens. It's about 50-50 mix at the start of the game, so your initial draws are going to give players a really good chance at drawing some useful artifacts that are used for scoring. However, after a player draws out their their allotted tokens, they keep all of the artifacts that they found, and then they put all the dirt tokens back into the bag meaning that on subsequent digs, the chances of finding something useful gets less and less. Players can offset this with spending more time digging, as well as collecting more knowledge in future digs, meaning that they'll draw more tokens from the bag. Now, this is such a wonderful part of the game, and I'm not sure that it would work at all if the dirt tokens were never put back into the bags for future digs. Each artifact is based on real items that have been found from these places, like the bust of Nefertiti in Egypt, the Hammurabi Codex in Mesopotamia, or an Idian uh, copper shield from Crete. And there's a little reference sheet included in the game that details all of the artifacts included in the box. Now that's a really cool addition that really you don't see very much these days. Um, At the end of either two or three years of game time, players will add up all of their victory points to see who was the most successful archaeologist. Each artifact collected is worth between one to seven victory points at the end of the game. There's also uh, exhibitions that players can put on, so long as they have a matching set of tokens depicted on them, and these are also scored at the end of the game. Players will also be able to host lectures during the game, which scores points based on how many each player has collected. And finally, Whoever has collected the most knowledge from each of the dig sites will collect some points. So each player can actually focus on different areas throughout the game to score points at the end. Our three-player game was super close, with only three points separating first to last place, with the winner scoring 72 points. The game has a fair amount of luck to it, from the token draws to cards coming out right after a player's left a specific location, But in the end, the game is short enough that we just had to shake our fists at our own misfortunes. There's nothing like a player spending 12 weeks digging at a site, only to draw one useful artifact out of the bag in the end. Or another player getting really, really lucky with one of the most valuable artifacts being drawn out after spending only a couple weeks at a site. Uh, We also had one player who got fortunate in Palestine, and no one ever wanted to go near there through the rest of the game because there were so few artifacts left in the region. But most importantly, we all had a really good time with the game, and one player said he'd rather play this over about a hundred of the newer games that have recently come out. 
There's this really wonderful push-your-luck element to the game in terms of how much time you spend preparing before a dig, as well as how much time you spend at each dig site. Now, component quality in this game is amazingly good with super thick tokens and well-made dials to track how many tokens players draw from their digs. It really made us appreciate how much component quality has changed in 14 years. If this game was to be produced today with the same components, it would probably retail for $60 or more easily. But if you can track down a used copy somewhere, Thebes is a great game to add to your collection. There's also a card game version that Queen Games put out in 2013 by the same designer that supposedly captures the same essence of the game, but reduces the luck somewhat. I haven't played that version, so I really can't comment on that. Anyway, I'm Chris Morris. Thank you for listening to my thoughts about Thebes. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more from me, uh, I can be found on Twitter as Spidermo. Thanks again for listening, and may all your dice rolls be critical successes. Matt and John here for Friday Night Games, and you can find us on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, our website at FridayNight.Games, and TikTok at... Friday Night Games. Nice. All right. So, uh, wow, another What You've Been Playing Wednesday. So what do you want to talk about, John? Uh, Space. The Final Frontier. Yes. So just as a note, before we get into this, uh, we have a podcast coming out this week on a bunch of space games we played in the last couple months. Uh, We we played a lot of them. (laughs) And uh, we might have, you know, we'll just announce it. We're going to have another last game standing in December, and that's going to be on space games. And there might be a bunch of uh, people from this, which have been played Wednesday, who are going to join us on that. Nice. Make sure you look out for that. Cool. So uh, Matt and I played Terraforming Mars and Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. So let's talk about the similarities, differences, our experience, our experience. Okay, well, uh, if you ever played Terraforming Mars, I highly recommend it. Um, I'm not going to get too in depth here because we could just be talking about this for like the next hour. But you basically you're you get resources, you spend resources on Terraforming Mars. The game ends when you you know uh, fill out all the oxygen and you rise the temperature. And you put a bunch of uh, water on the planet. The game ends. And then mm-hmm. whoever has the most points from... Uh, it's a, it's an engine builder, so whoever has the most points from building cards wins. Right. And then it goes... Uh, just before you go on to Ares Expedition, it goes in order. So, you know, I do two, two things. John does two things. It goes back to me until we can't do anything. Then there's a production phase, a draw phase, and it goes again. And then... Ares Expedition, it's basically just a uh, quicker version, in quotations. Yeah, I'll uh, definitely put that in quotations. <laughs> uh, in Terraforming Mars. Uh, the biggest difference is that phases are chosen each round, and each player secretly picks one of the phases to play, and whatever that lands on the list, either goes first or second, and they get bonuses for the phase they play. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I love these games. I think both of them are really awesome. Uh, Terraforming Mars, the original, is a very large game. <laughs> it could take a long time to play with a lot of people. Uh, but it has a ton of expansions. Some expansions speed it up, some slow it down. It gives you a lot of variety. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I wish that we played this game sooner. <laughs> I, know it's, I know it was on your shelf for a long time. Uh, but basically, I... Between the two, there, I, I, it's hard to hard to say which one I like better because there's things I liked from one hmm. that I didn't like from the other, and vice versa. Look, all I'm gonna say is this: when we were playing the original, uh, it, it was a lot of analysis paralysis, and we were yeah. playing with someone who had a lot of analysis paralysis. So, and we wanted to, we wanted to finish it, but we also wanted to go home. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> uh, what we did was we just everyone started taking their turn at the same time. Right. And actually made it better. <laughs> well, it's, it messed up some gameplay things, yeah. but it made it faster. Yeah, I, I can see where Ares Expedition makes the game faster, but it still took longer than what the box said oh, it would. The box says it's like 30 to 60 minutes. There's no way it's yeah. 30 to 60 minutes. I think I, me and John played, and it was two hours. Right. And I knew the rules. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I don't I don't think so. And the other thing I hate about Ares Expedition is I have to manage two hands. So you play an action from your hand to make sure you can do different things. So you have like five cards. Each one represents a different phase, and that lets you do different things. And then you have another set hand that you have like the cards you play for the engine builder. Yeah, and I think what I liked about the Ares Expedition as you're when you know you've got your your engine that's going. I liked how things comboed to get the mm-hmm. best resources, and I think I think I liked that better than how it played out in Terraforming Mars, and I, it was a little bit easier for me to understand. Um, now, not to say there isn't comboing in Terraforming Mars, there definitely is. Yeah, but it seemed like uh, the street, you know, Ares Expedition had a better comboing system right. than the original exactly which, because the original had a million cards yeah <laughs> so so, and, so does the aries expedition actually but yeah exactly i don't know i like them both i think i would probably prefer to play the original more often but i feel like i would get if i had both like i'd probably get aries to the table more as a solo player i like the original better fair enough yeah so there you go Cool. There's our take. All right. That's a quick take. We talk more about it in our podcast coming up this Friday. Uh, We are Matt and John for Friday Night Games. Have a good one. Peace. Hey, folks. Ryan here from Bridge City Board Gamers, and I'm one half of the weekly podcast Cardboard Conjecture, where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. You can find us active on Twitter and Instagram. Just follow us at BC Board Gamers. And we also got a bunch of content on our YouTube channel. We're streaming live every Wednesday. Rob from the Meeple Dungeon and I are playing all sorts of games. Recently, we just finished up a series of Ashes Reborn, and we are just going to be starting tonight... If you're listening to this episode on Wednesday, we will be playing Flesh and Blood, the trading card game. So come and check us out on the Bridge to Board Gamers YouTube channel live tonight at 8.30 Central. Alright, so what have I been playing lately? Well, I've got a little game that is a sequel to an already existing game. And I know what we all think about usually as sequels. They either go really bad and away from the original, you know, settings and tone and everything like that. But sometimes sequels just end up being just as good or even better than the originals. So what is this one that I'm talking about? Well, I'm going to be talking about The Voyages of Marco Polo. Check that. Marco Polo 2 in service of the con. Now... I'm just going to start it up front. I think that Marco Polo 2 is starting to eclipse the masterpiece that was Marco Polo, um, the Voyages of Marco Polo. I am going to say that this is a sequel that is worth the attention, and I can actually make the parallels to something like, you know, this is The Terminator 2, Judgment Day. This is Aliens. This is... Empire Strikes Back. I know I've went on Cardboard Conjecture before and said, and I've tried to compare the two Voyages of Marco Polo and Marco Polo 2, and I did say earlier that I did like Marco Polo 1, the very first one, better because of its tight economics of the game. Um, The resources are hard to come by. Traveling across the board is really difficult. You really have to strategically plan out your turns, and then I just realized that, that that style is just not for me anymore. And so Marco Polo 2 cleans up a lot of those things. Think of like Terminator 2 and Aliens is there are the more action-packed versions of their uh, original counterparts. Marco Polo 2 in service of the con is the more action-packed version of the Marco Polo system that Simone Luciani and Daniel Tassini Um, originally developed traveling is still difficult but it's a much more um, it's much more centric in Marco Polo 2 it's a little bit easier to do but there are still lots of costs associated with traveling spot to spot Um, just the original dice placement of taking the travel action doesn't cost anything, but rather all the costs are now split amongst all of the routes. There are now money 
camels. This new resource called Jade is all sprinkled about all of the different routes. And now also there is no, hey, you have to get to this city, this city, this city in order to score some points. Now it's kind of like a set collecting thing where you are rewarded if you can travel to as many different cities that have these banner icons. And the more different banners that you collect by traveling to these different cities will reward you better points. And the resource management, or sorry, the resource collection portion of Marco Polo 2 is much more, um, I think, just better. There are more spots to go and collect resources. And you don't just collect the say spice or the silk or the gold but you'll also get like camels at the stand. camels are still a, a main resource for traveling and uh, the dice manipulation in marco polo 2 but these other action spots where you go and place your dice to get the resources you're you're gonna collect multiple there there are static versions printed on the board but there are also tiles that get flipped over on each of those spots they kind of give you a little bit better of a return, but you have to spend this new resource called Jade. And if you've collected some Jade throughout the game, you can now go to these spots instead of taking the static board printed rewards. You can get these better rewards and they change from round to round. And you can actually see the ones that are going to be coming up in later in the say the next round. You, you'll It's just printed there at the bottom of the board. And so, yeah, everything, and there's still the awesome, crazy powers of the different characters, and they're all very thematic to what they're going to be able to do. Um, and then you're like, yeah, there's like Bone, there's the character that he travels for next to no cost, but he can only travel at one space per turn, which is really quite hindrance, but very quite powerful. There is the person that can collect Jade really really easily and therefore converting it into lots of points it's still that same marco polo feeling where all the characters seem crazy good and they're all crazy good in what seems like a perfect balance like we've there's never been a game uh between my wife and i that actually have um like there's been a, like a runaway winner everybody's been able to utilize their character power to the best of their abilities to try to play out their game the the best that they can. So Marco Polo 2, I'm really digging it. I was a really, really big fan of the original Voyages of Marco Polo. Actually, at one point in time, I think when the game first came out, I played it a ton. And I even would have considered it like one of my favorite games of all time at that point. And now I've started playing Marco Polo 2 again. And I'm just going to go on record and conjecture right now that I think now, yeah, I'm ready to say Marco Polo 2 is the better version of the Marco Polo games. Um, it's more readily available than the original one now, so it's a great place to pick up. You're not going to be disappointed. Really good resource management, um, the dice placement, and really the dice placement part is still true to the original game where spaces aren't really blocked. You can still go to them, but now they just kind of cost you some money uh, to go to those places, which is, a, I think, is a really important thing because there's not that many spaces on the board to place your dice, so you have to have that mechanic in there. So yes, Voyages of Marco Polo 2 in service of the con. It is The Empire Strikes Back. It is Terminator 2 Judgment Day. It is Aliens. It's the more action-packed version than the original. Not taking away from the original. The original is still a fantastic game, and it is for a completely different type of play style player. So that's what I've been playing lately. I've been Ryan of the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast here in Saskatoon and Bridge City Board Gamers. Uh, check us out on all our social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram at BC Board Gamers. Uh, YouTube, again, check us out tonight. We're going to be playing Flesh and Blood with uh, Rob from the Meeple Dungeon. Okay, I'll chat with you folks next time. Cheers.
and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. If you've got a gaming or game night question for me to answer, send that to questions at tabletopbellhop.com or visit our webpage at tabletopbellhop.com and click on Ask the Bellhop. You can also find me all over social media as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. Now the question I'm answering today, of course, is what you've been playing this past week. So this week, I got two games off my pile of shame, finished off an expansion, and played one of my kids' favorite games. First up, we finally finished up the Shy Pluto expansion for Space Base. No spoilers here, don't worry. After finishing, we played a second game to try out Space Base with all of the new Shy Pluto stuff included. Now, one problem I'm having with this game now is how to talk about it or share pictures without spoiling anything. Like, Shy Pluto is kind of a legacy expansion with boxes you open and everything. So is it cool of me to share pictures with tiny dice in them or talk about mining? I don't know. Until I figure that out, I will just say I'm on the fence about our newly updated game of Space Base. While we loved playing through Shy Pluto, which had some awesome moments, the final changes to the base game just don't really excite me. Plus, I'm seeing issues in this game where one person does very well and wins, and everyone else is still way behind on points when the game ends. And it doesn't seem like the expansion fished that issue with Space Base. As noted, though, I've only played one game with the new rules, and I'm going to have to give it a few more tries before I share my final thoughts and decide if I do or don't like this expansion overall. Next up, I got my production copy of Shadow Kingdoms of Valeria off the pile of shame and played it for the first time with four players. Now, I did play and review a prototype copy of this game way back before the Kickstarter happened, and I really enjoyed that, enjoyed it then, and that hasn't changed at all. Actually, the game hasn't really changed at all either, except in regards to component quality. The gameplay in the final version of Shadow Kingdoms of Valeria is actually identical to what I played. And honestly, that's not a problem at all. I do kind of wish, though, they had taken my advice of making the races a little more asymmetric. That didn't happen, though. Overall, Shadow Kingdoms of Valeria is a very solid dice-driven worker placement game that has you playing the baddies in the Valeria universe. It's quite a diversion from the other Valeria games, but well worth checking out. All four of us really enjoyed it, and the two players who hadn't gotten to play any version of the game, including the prototype, are now looking to pick up a copy, so that's always a good sign. I look forward to playing more games of Shadow Kings of Valeria in the future and showing it off to new players, as well as checking out the various modules in the expansion, which all I've done is crack open and unbox so far. This leads me to a six-player game of Disney Villainous, played with the extended family. We have both kids, Deanna and I, as well as Deanna's mom and sister, sitting down, all six of us to play Disney Villainous. Now, while I have enjoyed this game in the past, and it's one of my oldest daughter's favorite games, I honestly cannot recommend playing it with six players. At least not with the villains in the main box, because that's all I own. Not only did the game go on for far too long, with far too much downtime between turns, it was also just difficult to keep up with everything that was going on with trying to track what five other players were doing. Now, none of us are experts at this game yet. We just got it this year and haven't played all that often. But having to watch five different players who each have five different goals and five different ways of achieving those goals was just too much. Even for the adults at the table, it was just overwhelming. We had no clue. Like, I might have been able to track one or two people at the table were doing, but I didn't know what the third person diagonally across from me was doing. They could have been so close to winning, I would have no idea. Now, I do still dig Villainous. It's a it's a brilliant system. It's a very neat game. Uh, Prospero Hall did fantastic work on this, and I am very tempted to pick up some of the expansions, and it's possible some of the other characters might play better with higher player counts. But at this point, I don't think I'll ever sit down to play Disney Villainous with six players ever again. I'm going to try to limit that, I think, to four or less, possibly even three or less. Or three perfectly, actually. I think three may be the sweet spot here. Finally, the last game of this past week is another game off my personal pile of shame, and that is Viscounts of the West Kingdom from Renegade Games. Now, I am a huge fan of Raiders of the North Sea, but except for that game, I haven't had a chance to try out any of Shem's other games that Renegades has put out so far. 
And this is my first one playing after Raiders. And I have to say, it wasn't quite what I expected. Like, I honestly think Raiders is a great, rather light game. It's a game I've taught inexperienced gamers easily. And it's also something I bring to public play events to hook new gamers. Like, oh, look what board games can be. If all you played is Monopoly, check this out for something completely different. And I just assumed the other games by Shem in this series would have similar weights. And wow, was I wrong, at least in regards to Viscounts. Again, those are the only two games I played from Shem Phillips in this series of games. Viscounts is a meaty game. And I actually, just to confirm this, to see if it wasn't just because it was our first play, I looked on Board Game Geek, and it's got a weight of 3.44. That's up there. That is in the medium heavy to light heavy, like it, that, anything above three. And that's getting really close to four, whereas Raiders of the North Sea is like 2.5 something. So I, it seems like I was right. It definitely is heavier. So the ratings on Board Game Geek, I agree with so far. Now, clearly, I didn't do any research on this game. Actually, I kind of happened into a copy after um, picking up a gamer who was getting out of gaming. I got their collection off of them. So I didn't do any research, but I knew I was looking forward to it because I did like the other game. So the other thing I had no clue of is I had no idea that Viscounts of the West Kingdom was a deck builder. I, like, whoa, wait, this is a deck builder. I, I start with it. Everyone starts with the same cards. And during the game, I'm buying new cards. But then it does all kinds of neat new stuff. Like you have to put your people into your villages and they go in order and there's like a time track. I'm like, cool. I, I love deck builders. So this was great to experience that. The other thing is it really reminded me of a Steffenfeld game just because it felt like everything you did scored you points and different amounts of points. You're building buildings, collecting deeds and debts, paying off those debts, moving workers into the castle and having them move up the ranks, getting higher into the castle, getting priest described books collecting and trading resources, and so much more. Like, wow, total point salad. So you got a deck builder, you got a point salad, and it's also a rondelle. You're going around the board in circles, and you can only go follow the arrows. I'm like, holy cow, there's a lot going on in this game. And I got to say, it was fun exploring this during our first game. Though it was a bit of a mess and went way longer than we expected, and I had to do a lot of looking up stuff in books... But that's all because I didn't quite realize what we were getting into, and we probably should have started in an hour earlier. That said, I did have fun. Viscounts seemed really well done, really impressive, but man, I need to play again. I need to sit down. And I, that was the biggest thing I was left with. Like, soon as we finished the game, I was like, all right, when can we play again now that I get it, now that I understand what's going on? Deanna actually felt the same. We almost played a second game that night, just two-player, just to, now that we know what's going on, let's try this out. Which I got to say is a great feeling. That's the kind of thing you want from a game, right? The first time you play the game, you want it to make you want to come back right away. And that is what Viscounts of the West Kingdom did. But don't make the same mistake as I did. If you were looking for a lighter, teach new gamers experience, you're not going to find that with Viscounts of the West Kingdom. Well, that's it for the games I played over the last week. Find lots more gaming content at TabletopBellhop.com and on the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, which drops Tuesday mornings at 2 a.m. I also welcome you to join us for Sunday Brunch with the Bellhop. That's at 1 p.m. on Twitch on Sundays at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzno, the Tabletop Bellhop. Good night and game on. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And this is What Have You Been Playing, a weekly podcast of Canadian content creators that gets put together and sent out for people to listen to. We finally are doing another one. Yes. We've been gone for a little bit. We have not played games for almost a month, and last week we got one played, and it was a good one, so we want to talk about it. Uh, the game we are going to talk about is Cascadia by Randy Flynn by AEG, uh, art by the... Very talented, Beth Sobel. She, this is basically the same team that did Calico. Hmm. Is she the one who's putting out those cards? Yes. Okay, because I've been I've been seeing them pop up on my Twitter feed. Yeah, she has they a deck look, of cards they, coming on to Kickstarter. They look that looks beautiful. Gorgeous. They look so pretty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in Cascadia, you are playing rounds. Basically, you're going around until. Everybody's had the same amount of turns. It usually works out between 20 and 23 turns, depending on how many players. And you take a tile, a land tile, and a animal. 
and you're adding those to your base. Uh, there's five cards that score the animals, and the terrain tiles are based on your largest contiguous area. Right. Uh, this one I didn't find as brain burny as Calico. Yeah, when I, when I played Calico, I didn't really get it. Um, and this one I definitely got. It, it, I thought it was simpler, but still thinky. Yeah. Uh, I got to play it four times. I played twice at three player, once at two player, and then once at four player last week. Uh, so I had a banner week of playing games. So <laughs> going from zero to four is incredible. Uh, everything is nice. The bits are nice. The tiles are nice and chunky. Uh, the play is smooth. Uh, the scoring is pretty straightforward. I think we had one tile that there was a little bit of, or one card that there's a little bit of question on with the foxes. Mm -hmm. uh, but outside of that, everything was very smooth, very well handled by the uh, designers. Yeah, I thought it played really well. I had a really good time with it. Um, it was fun to try and um, keep track of kind of how each thing scores. And I thought, I thought it would cause more issues than it did, but I actually had an okay time, at least with the animals. The terrain, there was a little bit of like, okay, which one will work the best where? Um, but yeah, I had a really good time with it, actually. I think you, I came second in this one. I, I think you did as well. I uh, actually won this one. It yeah, was the after you've been telling us, after you've been telling us, I can't win this game. I'm terrible I, I at this game. I finished last in the other three games, <laughs> then somehow pulled out a win. I think... The reason it is a little bit smoother compared to Calico is that you, you're not constrained to a or like a set area. Yeah. Where this one you can just spread out so you don't have to force one in there. Yeah, you can kind of just go in a straight line if you need to. Yeah, and they just... The Kickstarter for their third one from the same team came out today. Verdant. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, I am David... And I am Shay. And that has been Cascadia. Hello, I am Aaron Millich. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast. A podcast definitely about board games, except usually we fool around too much. Right. Yeah, that's not really right, but close enough. Okay. And we're back on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. And Royce, everyone is on the edge of their seats. What have you been playing on Wednesday? I got to get together for in-person playing. I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got to sit and I got to play with Matt and Dave, who are both longtime listeners, and Sabrina. And we got to play a game that I've been really excited to play again. So this is CO2 Second Chance. Right. Uh, this is by Vital Lacerda. Mm -hmm. It came out in 2018 from Stronghold Games. I, I have a little bit of a relationship with this game. Oh, okay. First CO2, when I saw it, I fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. The art was insane. I just wanted to play it so badly. And I grabbed a bunch of people and we went to Snakes and Lattes and it was horrible. <laughs> it was just a terrible game. It, it really didn't work. It leaned super hard into the semi co-op. Oh no. Uh, uh, but yeah, it just didn't work. Yeah. So then I got second chance and I picked up a copy and I don't know why I picked up a copy because I hated the first one, but I thought, eh. you are a glutton for punishment. Yeah. And I played it with Jamie Malton and a few other people and it was decent. Not enough to make me like super excited. And then Dave says, I really want to play CO2. All right. So we went over to his place. We sat down, we played, and it was great. It was so good. Hmm. We, we didn't win. Oh. <laughs> so this is one of those games where one person wins, but you have to. We killed the world. We had way too much pollution. Uh. But we were so close. It was so close. It was just like a hair's breadth away from us being able to continue and finish the game. It just, I really enjoyed it. And I don't know why, because I don't like uh, semi-co-op games. But this one, the changes they made mean that right even 
right up until you lose. There's no reason to tank the game because that's always one of the problems I have with semi. You know, if I can't win, why am I helping you to win? But right up until the moment when we, you know, ended the world due to climate change, uh, <laughs> we could have still won. Any one of us could have still won. So you still wanted to try. So it fixed that semi-co-op problem. It's just a really great game about building clean energy to replace dirty energy. But if you don't build enough clean energy, there's still people growing. The population growth still happens. Somebody's going to build the, the dirty energy sources if you don't have it covered with the clean energy and you're never going to have it covered enough. So it was really cool, really enjoyable. Beautiful art. The new version is by Ian O'Toole. Absolutely fantastic. CO2, second chance. If you didn't like the first one, try it. If you like the first one, definitely try it. It's a really neat game. And uh, so you mentioned a bunch of people that no one's ever heard of. <laughs> but do you think maybe it's because of who you played with? It could well? be. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. But overall, this is the one that if you're going to play, this is the one. I Don't play the first version again. And if you hated the first version like I did, it might be worse still trying this one out. Yeah, it must have been sad because I know you like Vitell Lasarda and Ian O'Toole a lot. So that must have been a bit of a disappointing... Well, Ian O'Toole didn't do the art in the first one, I don't think, but oh, it was okay. still excellent art. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Well, I'm going to be honest. Uh, summertime is my time to be outside. I work outside. Haven't been playing a lot, but I did have a very brief... Uh, break at the cottage and so i brought a few board games up there to play and uh, i figured i'd bring board games that sort of fit the theme of being at the cottage so i brought the butterfly garden which is a brand new game from steve finn dr finn's games came out in 2021 it came with three other games i did a kickstarter my first ever kickstarter and it was for dr finn's games this is the first one we got to the table uh, as all of his games, they're pretty short. They're good for you know two to five players, about 30 minutes long, this one. Kind of a filler game. However, it has some depth to it. Basically, you want to capture some butterflies with your net, deliver to the butterfly garden, place them in your jar. Pretty straightforward. You're collecting butterflies, trying to get a big score. Uh, that's the overall feeling. The art is unbelievable. Like I, His stuff is so beautiful. He puts a lot of detail into his games. Uh, this one feels a bit like Herbaceous in terms mm -hmm. of the gameplay, very similar. You want to get to something before someone else does. Uh, overall, really liked it. I like all of his stuff because these are my kind of games. Light, yeah. easy, right in the middle there. So if you were uh, looking, I have seen it now in retail. I've seen it at Meeple Mart here in Toronto. If you've been looking to pick up a copy, um, you can actually get it now. Highly recommend The Butterfly Garden from Steve Finn. Excellent. Yeah. Sounds good. So if you want to hear more about what we've been playing all over the place, find us at Definitely a Board Game Podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeart, all these places. If you want to email us and talk to us, I'm not sure why you would, but you can. Definitelyboard at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, at Board Definitely, Facebook, Definitely Board. And we have a guild, Board Game Geek. Definitely Board Game Podcast. You can find us there. We're literally the easiest podcast to find in the world. We just heard that recently. We won an award for it. So if you haven't found us yet, really, that's on you, not us. Please note the opinions of Aaron in this instance are <laughs> do not reflect actual reality in any way. Right. Also, I don't know if you're interested, but right now we have a survey going on on our podcast about our podcast. So if you listen to the podcast and do the survey, guess what? You'll be entered into a draw to win a $50 gift card to your favorite video game store. So you may not be interested in the survey, but dang, you got to be interested in the 50 bucks. Yeah. So, you know, really, you could just not even also, listen. And by just... the way, board game store. What did I say? Video game. I did? Yeah. Well, I'm you... a little confused. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long summer, folks. That's all I can say. Definitely the card is for a board game store, not a video game store. Actually, I don't even care. If you say you want it for a video game store, I'll give it to you for a video game store. There you go. You don't even have to, have to listen to our podcast. Just press a bunch of buttons. Win a, win a gift card. Do whatever you want. Is there anything else, Royce? Please listen to our podcast. Don't just <laughs> push a bunch of buttons. <laughs> I feel like we've lost control. Say goodbye, Royce. Yeah, I don't think we ever had control. Goodbye, Royce. <laughs> Bye, everybody.
Hey everybody, Norm here from Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And I'm going to talk about two games that I had the opportunity to play this weekend with uh, so, uh, uh, three of my cousins that came over for my birthday. Because, you know, my birthday was on the long weekend and that sucks because everybody's at the lake. So we had it the week after. Um, just a small little thing, our little our, our, uh, our bubble. And uh, so we, the first game we played, uh, this is one of my favorite ones. Uh, first game we played is Dixit. And if uh, nobody knows about uh, anything about Dixit, uh, it's three to six players. <laughs> it says it plays 30 minutes, but <laughs> not with my family. Um, <laughs> uh, it's basically, I mean, it's a race game, but it's, it's basically a, uh, a st- storytelling, empathy, interpretation kind of thing. <laughs> That's about as much sense as it makes. So I'll explain to you. So how it works is uh, each player at the plane at the table uh, has a, uh, in this case, has a little bunny meeple, and uh, you go around a track and score 30 points. How you score those points is the coolest thing because everybody gets a hand of six cards, and these cards are some of the most incredible pieces of art. Uh, so they're all these these crazy pictures of of you know if you can imagine it it's it's got a picture of it and you know more so you have this handful of cards that uh uh the active player on their turn is going to pick a card and uh is going to say a clue or a sound or anything that uh, um, gives the other people the ability to connect to that image uh, and have this, you know, whatever kind of connection you can have to, let's say the example is yawn, right? And then you look for, at your hand of cards and go, what card looks like yawn? So the active player has the one that they chose. They put it face down in the middle. Everybody else at the table who's playing in their hand picks what they perceive as that, you know, that answer to the clue that the active player gave, puts it in the middle face down. Um, the, the, the active player takes these cards and hides the shuffling about us so no one knows whose card's who. You lay it out into a gallery that's numbered one to six. Every player has a little chit, a voting chit, uh, that, you, that you vote secretly because what you're trying to do is, um, I, if I'm the next, you know, the, not the active player, but I'm participating in this, I'm trying to guess the active player's card according to their clue that they gave and... Not just that, but as as my family would say, okay, it's not yawn, it's what Norm thinks is yawn. So there's this really wild meta uh, kind of context connection, empathetic connection to your interpretation of what that means. So my goal is to try and guess that uh, active player's card. Now, there's three phases in the scoring. If uh, everybody guesses the active player's card... The active player gets zero points because your clue was way too obvious and uh, everybody gets two points. Now, uh, if nobody guesses the active player card, uh, everybody gets two points and here's the kicker. If you can uh, steal someone's vote when you're not the active player and they guess your card, you get a bonus point. Um, And then, of course, the last one is um, if... uh, Everybody but one player, or one player, or a player, but not all of them, guesses the, uh, the active player's card. The active player gets three points. The people who have guessed that card gets three points. And then, of course, the other guests that didn't uh, make that target um, will attribute a point to the player who has that card. So you do this, rinse and repeat, until someone gets 30, and uh, man... That is still by far one of my favorite group games. I'm not going to call it a party game. This is a large, uh, <laughs> a large party game. <laughs> I just said it. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a game. It's one of those games where in between turns, there is such unpacking of information and explaining information um, to people and an accounting of, of uh, you know, um, how people know 
this connection where you would say, oh yeah, I know Jan because this is what happens every time you do this behavior. I know you that well kind of thing. So it is such a, such a connected kind of game. I, I, I highly encourage every... Now, that mechanism has been used in other games like, uh, I think it's Mysterium, um, and how the, the, the ghost has cards and they're trying to, the ghost is trying to connect with the medium through these cards. So that's a very clever, um, I would say, mechanism, uh, interpretation to a theme. Because, I mean, Dixit doesn't really have a theme. You're just trying to guess the person's card. So, uh, yeah, yeah, either or. I haven't played, I haven't played the, uh, um, the Mysterium, I think. I'm going to say that. Um, but uh, yeah, I can't wait for the opportunity. And the second one is, um, <laughs> it's a party game. And I think I won the award. Uh, it is just one. And it's designed by Ludovic Rowdy and Bruno Sauter. I believe those are the same designers of Seventh Continent. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's Conjecture. Uh, published by Repose Productions. This one is, again... Uh, it all stems from the active player, and this one is a cooperative game where uh, you it's the, just one. That's basically the rule. Just one word, just one answer. Uh, what you're trying to do, if I'm the active player, I'm going to take a card, not look at it, put it in front of me on my little whiteboard uh, uh, sandwich uh, <laughs> board holder kind of thing um, so that everybody else can see it. There is a list of one to five words. I just say a random number, uh, and it corresponds to a random word. Let's say that random word is ice cream, uh, you know, something like that. And um, that's two words. You know, let's just say ice. Let's keep it simple. Just one. And uh, so everybody else's objective is to write one word clue that will direct me and encourage me to come up with the one word that is on that card. So somebody might write cold, somebody might write cube, somebody might write, uh, you know, all these variable, uh, you know, word, one word connections to this idea. But here's the kicker. If people match their answers, like someone says cube and another person says cube, you have to erase that answer. So now the potential clues presented to the guesser are reduced, therefore potentially making that guess a lot harder. And, uh, and, and I say potentially because the first time I played this game was with Rob and Anna Marie at, uh, at Terminal City. And we were just kind of hanging out, doing a filler and kind of standing up playing this. And uh, it was my turn. And I think there was three or four... Uh, uh, you know, word word presenters, and everybody but I think it was Anna Marie uh, had theirs erased, and she 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 now the connection was she thinks she presented the word potato, and I said Irish because it was right, and I, yeah, it was that that kind of weird thing where all the clues were gone, there was one left, and I dialed it in. It was just the it was the weirdest out-of-body experience. I was watching myself guess the game. Or I could have just needed a coffee and a sandwich. Um, so, yeah, just one. Uh, that, that game is so much fun. Uh, I mean, I, there's not much to explain that. That's pretty much it. Once you, you either guess your word or don't guess your word, you pass it on to the next person. They take a card. You do the same process again. It is within that process that the the magic happens with that game because it's it's one of those games where even if you erase your word you're happy to do it because somebody was just as clever as you were and and that feels good so um and speaking of that feels good uh i think that is the perfect time to wrap up this episode and as always i say thank you so much to the listeners for participating in this cardboard banter that we love so much and um, thank you so much to the content creators for contributing everything they do and all the games that they talk about and all that encouragement for me to spend more money. So support the lo friendly local game store. Uh, <laughs> and that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? <laughs>